1: Welcome into the Odson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And on today's show, we've got NBA playoff basketball with some Oregon Duck twists to it. Duck fans will have some rooting interest if if you're rooting for Duck players. You've got a team in the, you've got a team in the West and a team in the East that are going to have uh, someone that played in his basketball at Oregon. We'll discuss that. We'll also discuss two other Ducks that had really interesting and impressive performances in the NBA bubble. Uh, their seasons have now come to a close, but before we dive into today's NBA talk for the Ducks, uh, I want to remind everybody out there, you can subscribe to duckterritory.com, an annual membership for 50% off. We're currently set up celebrating the entire month of 10-year anniversary for 24-7 Sports, and that anniversary of 10 years gets you an 50% off an annual membership uh, huge chunk of savings gets you through next football, you know, up to next football season uh, through the spring recruiting still going on. So lots, lots going on right now in the Oregon in the Oregon athletic world, even though they're not technically playing a lot of sports right now. Uh, all right, so re- let's start with the guys that, that seasons are over with. Uh, that would be Troy Brown of the Washington Wizards. They finished twenty five and forty seven. Uh, in, in the regular season with a restart and also the Memphis Grizzlies who finished 34 and 39, they have Dylan Brooks. They played in the playing game. They they had to beat the Portland trailblazers twice. And so if you're a duck fan really conflicted there, I'm sure. Uh, do you root for your home state team, the Portland trailblazers, or do you root for the duck who was uh, playing for Memphis and Dylan Brooks, but nonetheless, Dylan Brooks, season is now over. Let, let's start with Troy Brown, Washington wizards. And I think Eric, this was kind of – this was Troy Brown's moment of the season. It felt like uh, the eight games in the NBA bubble restart, uh, really impressive performances across the board from him. He had a triple he, – he almost had a triple-double. He had a couple double-doubles. Uh, a guy that really kind of flourished into his own when – he was basically, you know, the facilitator and go-to guy for, for the Wizards.
0: Yeah, you look at what he did over an eight-game period with the Wizards, and let's just start by acknowledging that Washington didn't bring, arguably, its three best players to the bubble. Uh, Bradley Beal, John Wall, and, uh, and I'm blanking on the name here. It's their power 40s, European guy. Uh, but anyway, they didn't have those three players on, on their roster, and so they were basically playing kind of almost like their G League equivalent, and, and Troy Brown was arguably the best player for the Wizards, Um, You look at the stats, 15.7 rebounds, about five assists a game, one steal. Um, Three-point shooting numbers still aren't great. He shot about 32, um, yeah, about 32.5% from that distance. But he's a player who, you remember, I mean, he only played one year at Oregon, and he's still only 21 years old. Um, He just turned 21 um, right around the third level play. Uh, This is a really young guy and I think you're I think and and we should know it like he turned some heads and I know the Wizards were pretty bad and it wasn't exciting to watch necessarily but um, you know Matt put up on the site I think last week that ESPN kind of put together I think eight rising stars and Troy Brown was one of the players they they listed Um, along with if you're a Blazers fan like a guy like Gary Trent who as we saw was just incredible at times for the Blazers so that kind of puts in perspective of, of kind of how he performed, and, and I, I watched a decent amount, as much as I could. They weren't on national TV very much because they're the Wizards, but um, I think he's somebody who he definitely finished the season on a real high note. Um, you look at it; you mentioned almost a triple double: 10, and eight. The next game, 10, 8, and seven. Uh, you know, he was filling up the stat sheet the whole time down there. And at six foot six, six foot seven, as a perimeter guy, I, I think he's somebody given his age, that the Wizards are really excited about. And, again, it's interesting because if you're an Oregon fan, there's not as much connection with him as probably the other players were are about to talk about. But he probably maybe has that – I would argue has the highest ceiling of any of these guys in terms of, like, what the next two or three years could hold. Um, and the Wizards, again, they are not – they're probably the worst team that played in this bubble, honestly. But there's the upside once they get some of these guys back next year that they could be pretty good, and Troy Brown could at least be kind of in the center – of little of that, um, possibly in a starting role again. He started all eight games in the bubble, started about a third of the games this season for, for the Wizards. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it develops, but I think really positive play from him down in, in Orlando.
1: Yeah, the Wizards, they played eight games. They went one and seven. So they certainly were not a high-level team.
0: And, and we should note, Matt, their last their only win was the last game when Boston didn't play anybody, and they only won by six points.
1: Correct. And <laughs> Troy Brown was – in uh, double figures in scoring in seven of the eight games. The only game he did not score was the second-to-last one against Milwaukee, uh, and he had nine points. But overall, you know, I, I think he rebounded well. He, he, he dished the ball pretty well. Uh, turnovers were a little bit of a problem in some games, weren't necessarily a problem in other games. And like you said, though, he, he has – probably the best ceiling of the group of ducks that we're going to talk about. And when real quick, long-term projection, when we look at this group, you know, next season, they're going to, the wizards are going to get John wall back. They're going to get Bradley Beal back. Uh, they will have Rui Hashimira Thomas Bryant and Troy Brown kind of as their starting lineup. And now you, you wonder with this team with, two perennial all-stars and John Wall and Bradley Beal, how, how good could they become and what's Troy Brown's role? I, I, think, it, I think he's got a, an opportunity to be a, a guy that's going to be a, a regular contributor, a starter on a team that's a playoff team next year. I mean, I, I think when you add Beal and you add John Wall into the rotation – uh, this team is certainly good enough to be in that eight, seven, six seed discussion in the East.
0: Yeah, and I, really quickly, uh, the the third player that did not compete down there uh, was Davis Bertons. and he was actually third on their team in scoring, actually second on their team in scoring this year. Uh, he's a power forward, a European guy. Uh, they'll have him back too. I think he elected not to play, younger guy as well. So the the, the Wizards have a relatively young, exciting core, and you're right in the Eastern Conference which is if you've watched any of the bubble plays, almost like you're watching a different league compared to what the West has In the West, it was like so many dominant teams. The Blazers again is the eight seed and are, I mean, really impressive. And you look at the East and there are teams out there that just aren't that impressive. I I agree. I think there's a good chance that this Wizards team could be a playoff team. And I think Troy Brown's going to be a starter on that team, probably starting next to uh, Beal and wall at that small forward position and, yeah, he's only 21 years old. He'll be 21 years old when they start next season, by the way, because the season starts in probably like three months anyway, the way this is all set up. But, um, yeah, I think you have to be really encouraged. The end of the season averaging 10 points and about six rebounds, three assists per game. Played in every game for the Wizards this year. Um, I think the thing that will be interesting to see with, with this team is just how they, they gel in these new roles, because it will be – Basically, there are three, three guys I mentioned earlier, and then a bunch of young guys that haven't really played in any of these big situations. And they have a very young team. You mentioned Hachimura and Bryant. They're also 20, 21 years old. Um, Brown is 21 now. I mean, this is a young core. So I think something to be excited about going forward is, is kind of what that development could be. And I think with Brown, I wonder next year what kind of step he can take. Um, could he be like a 15-point-per-game guy um, with seven rebounds and three assists a game and be somebody that is just kind of a do-it-all player. And, again, that three-point shot, if that can improve, to me that's where, where he really has a chance to get better because he's only like about a 33% career three-point shooter. At Oregon he was worse than that. I think he was like 29%. If he can get that up to – I think the league average is now like 37%, which is crazy, by the way, because that's a pretty good percentage by, by anybody's standards. Um, if he can get up to that point, you know, I think the sky's the limit for him and it'll be interesting to see kind of how he develops because I think, again, you forget how young he is. He's, he just turned 21. Um, And and the Wizards are, while kind of a funky team, at least somebody to be keeping an eye on, at least in the Eastern Conference next year.
1: The other duck that's season has come to an end that's currently that was playing uh, an NBA restart is Dylan Brooks. And I think this one, Eric, I, I am pleasantly surprised at how good Dylan Brooks has become offensively and more so even defensively. He was third on the team in scoring, this past season for for Memphis 16.2 points he also averaged 3.3 rebounds and 2.1 assists per game a guy that's become the the starting shooting guard for a Memphis team that's got a very bright future and and quite honestly with brooks, ja morant and Jaron jackson and whoever else they add in the next couple of years they have a really good core and a really young core they're they're the youngest team in the nba In terms of uh, the players that the top nine players in a rotation and the ages. Uh, And Dylan Brooks is a big part of that. He scored in double figures in all nine games that he played in for Memphis the eight regular season games and the one playoff game. Uh, And then we also saw Dylan Brooks, I think, in particular, they played the Blazers twice. Mm -hmm. First game of the year, or of of the NBA restart. And then they also played him in the playing game. And I look at this and think what he did in those two games against Damian Lillard. And yes, Lillard had high scoring numbers, but what he did against those, those against Lillard in those two games. And throughout he's really shown the ability to play defense and to have the wherewithal and and the understanding and, the desire to guard the, the opposing team's best player. And Dylan Brooks individually I don't think is ever going to be a team's number one option. But from an emotional standpoint, he's kind of the, the guy that brings Memphis that juice. He plays with, with grit. He plays very aggressive, very competitively, you know, very similar to what he did while he was at Oregon. And I think that bleeds over into everyone else on the roster.
0: I was really impressed watching him defend Damian Lillard on Saturday. And I know Lillard still finishes with 31 points, but this is guy who was coming off and averaging 50 points the last three games. And, yeah. he, and Lillard had been shooting like over 50% from the field and against largely Brooks, who was kind of shadowing him. He was six for 15 from the field and five for 14 from three, basically couldn't get to the rim at all. And, and was not even that high of a percentage shooter from three where he'd been shooting over 50% the last three games. I mean, I'm looking at Lillard's numbers right now going like, holy cow, (laughs) some of this stuff is incredible. But, I mean, I think it says a lot um, with how he defended. And then you're right in terms of that emotional competitiveness. And I think it was Mark Jackson who made a comparison to Draymond Green. And I think some people probably thought that was a little goofy because they're not really that similar players besides being similar in in build and similar kind of emotional status. But I I don't think it's the worst comparison if if you're just talking about what they bring from – an emotional leadership perspective. I think Brooks really carries that and it'll be interesting to see with him again, similar to the wizards. The, the Grizzlies were without probably two of their six or seven best players um, down the stretch. And, you know, they, Jaron Jackson's probably their second best player behind John Morant. He wasn't playing at the end here. Um, Justice Winslow, a player they acquired from a trade was expected, I think to be a starter or at least uh, one of the first guys off the bench. So, They're a team that's exciting, and I think Brooks fits into it. And we should say, like, he averaged 20 points per game in the bubble. Um, His shooting numbers weren't very good. 28% from three is not where he needs to be. But I thought he played really hard, and the fact that he's defending the opposing team's best offensive player, like, that's not a thing I really ever expected to see from him at the next level. Um, When he was at Oregon, obviously, we know him for his big shot-making – He's a pretty good defensive player, but I wouldn't have ever said he was like an all-conference co- all caliber guy. And I don't think he's going to be like an all-NBA defensive player at any point in his career, but he can be the best perimeter defensive guy on a good Memphis Grizzlies team for the next couple of years. So I think he's a glue guy. I wouldn't be surprised. He finished the year like 16 points per game. I wouldn't be surprised if that number goes down a little bit going yeah. forward just because Morant's going to be the focal point. Jackson's like a guy. Um, There might just not have to be much opportunity for him, but I think he's definitely going to carry on a role as just an emotional and defensive leader for this group and a guy who, if he's called upon, can definitely fill it up. I mean, you look at the stats down there. He had four games over 20 points, actually five games over 20 points if you count the play-in, and then he scored a a near-curve-high 31 in a crucial game against Milwaukee um, to clinch a
1: a game in the play-in against the Blazers. And the thing I look about with Dylan Brooks is he could be the guy that's the third or fourth best player on a really good playoff team, mm-hmm. and that's what makes that team really good is that he's your third or fourth best option, and he might he I mean he just signed a contract extension with the with with the Grizzlies so he's not going anywhere on his own accord um anytime soon but you know, he, he may get an opportunity down the road to, to be the number two or to be the number one, but I don't know if that's necessarily his best situation in the NBA. He, can, he could maybe do it, but is the team going to win? Is he going to be an efficient player? I think he's in the best position for himself long term to really be able to go out and play at a high level and play well and at the same time play on a team that quite honestly – you look at who the Grizzlies have on their roster and the the, the youth that's there; they could be pretty good, in that, you know, for the next four or five years. And Dylan Brooks is going to be a guy that that's going to have a, a big say in that.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say. I think that's the exciting part. Is you know, I, I know the Grizzlies are in the West is super competitive, and the Warriors are going to come back next year and probably be one of the better teams. And we saw what the Phoenix Suns did and the Blazers and the Grizzlies are going to have to really battle to make the playoffs, but you're you're at least going to have Dylan Brooks be a core piece on a very competitive team. Who's going to be on television quite a bit. And I think he's going to be somebody that is, is a pretty well-known name in the league because of that. Um, I think he probably raised some of his stock in terms of how people saw him just in the bubble from the perspective of their games are on television almost every day. And he's out there scoring a lot and being a really crucial part of that team. So, um, and, and, and just a thought here, I mean, I think all four of these guys we're about to talk about, the common thread for me with all of them is I think they've all really kind of outachieved what my expectations were for them. I yeah. mean, you know, Brooks was a second-round pick, and the fact that he's a starting shooting guard averaging 16 points per game in his third year, that's really impressive for me. Troy Brown, he's 21. I know he's a lottery pick, but the fact that he was arguably the Wizards' best player in a, you know, down there, that's impressive to me. And we'll talk more about Bull Bull and Chris Boucher, but I think – you probably could make very similar arguments for both of those guys. So, you know, credit to all four of these players for, I think, uh, outperforming almost kind of what a lot of people expected from them. I think Brooks is probably almost the – and probably Boucher are probably the two best examples of that, of just guys that you looked at and thought, I don't know how much their game is going to translate to the next level, and now you look up, and they're they're really important parts of some really good basketball teams.
1: Let's transition now to, to Chris Boucher. Second season with the Toronto Raptors. Um, a guy that when given the opportunity has played well. And that's, I think Eric, that's the issue. I mean, he had two games in which he really performed at a high level. Um, he played, he played in seven games for the, the Raptors out of their eight in in the bubble and three of them, the last three were games in which he really got significant run. He played over 22 minutes in each of those three games uh, but he had two of those where he had 25 and 11 against Milwaukee. He had 19 and nine against the Sixers uh, and then Denver, the third game, he he went nine, nine points, nine rebounds. Um, I look at Boucher. And like you said, just now about Dylan Brooks, I never really expected him to be this effective in the NBA. The issue for Boucher almost feels like he, he's, he's stuck in a, in a, in a place where, he needs to decide, do I want to play a minimal role where I'm going to play 15 minutes a game, 10 minutes a game, if that, but be on a team that's going to compete for an NBA championship every single season, or do I want to go somewhere where I may not win as much or at at such a high level, but I'm going to have a bigger bigger impact in the game because I'm going to play more.
0: Yeah, the playing time stuff is – is what holds him back. I mean, honestly, the the stats are super impressive. Given the playing time, he played, this isn't just bubble. This is the whole season. He played 13 minutes a game and averaged about seven points and five rebounds. I mean, that's, that's pretty darn good. If you do that over 36 minutes, got this pulled up here on StatsReference.com. He's an 18 and 13 guy with three blocks per game. I mean, (laughs) over 36 minutes. So you're right. If you give him an expanded role, he's very capable of doing a lot more than what you see from him. And, and again, we saw that even in the bubble here with those last three games, you ran through the stats there of just how impressive he was rebounding, um, blocking shots, shooting the three, we should say the last three games, um, he was what eight for eight for 14 from three in those games or no, eight for 15 from three in those games. And that's really good um, for a six foot nine guy. So I'm with you, Matt. I think Boucher's a guy who I kind of wonder what the future holds for him because this Raptors team, they play a ton of guys. They're really deep. They're really talented. Like you said, they have a, I think they have a, as good a chance as anybody to win and represent the Eastern Conference this year. Um, it'll probably come down to them in Milwaukee and maybe put Boston or Miami in that conversation. But they're a really good team. What, what's ultimately best for him, though? I mean, and the thing with him that's a little different than the other guys, he's already 27 years old. Um, and maybe that gets lost a little bit because he's only been in the league a couple of years. But the clock is – he's like kind of in his prime almost right now. And I kind of wonder, yeah, like you said, I kind of wonder best case for Chris Boucher is he's not with the Raptors next year and he finds a spot where he can be a starter, average 25, 30 minutes a game, and maybe be like a 13 and 9 guy with a couple of blocks and, you know, and can be that stretch you know, shoot three-point shooter. And he shot 32% in his career so far, which is pretty adequate, not great. But uh, the upside's there. And, and, like you said, and like I said earlier, this is a guy who I didn't even know if he'd stick in the league, period. Um, and for him to last year be the G League, I think, offense I mean, MVP and then Defensive Player of the Year, and this year to, to, to carry such a good, a big role on such a good team. Um, impressive and hats off to him. A really good feel-good story, too. And I should mention, he's already, uh, he's already one of four players in NBA history to have won two NBA championships with two different franchises. That's right. He won a, a ring with the Warriors in 2017-2018. And then he won one last year with Toronto. He has a chance to win three championships in three years. So uh, <laughs> he's got pretty, pretty good fortune there, especially because he played about one minute with the Warriors the year he won his ring.
1: Now, this is where the debate becomes really difficult because, like I said, he could leave to go play somewhere else, or does he risk a couple years? And like you said, he's already starting, you know, he's in his prime. He's about to enter his prime, if not, he's right. 27. Marcus Gasol is 35 years old. He's the starting center on this team. Sergi Ibaka is 30, and he is the backup center on this team. Now, we can say right now Chris Boucher will not be starting at power forward ahead of Pascal uh, Siakam. He could maybe develop himself a little bit better so that he is a v- more valuable player than Rondé Hollis Jefferson, a former Arizona Wildcat, a little underside power forward. And O.G., uh, and Bobby is another undersized you know small forward that plays power forward for Indiana so does does Chris Boucher roll the dice and stick with the Raptors for a couple more years to see what happens with Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka because Boucher is the third center on the team and how much how much time does Marc Gasol still have left in the tank because he's He's 35. He averages just seven and a half points, 6.3 rebounds per game. Does average 3.3 assists. Uh, In this season, he's playing about 26 minutes a game. Serge Ibaka is is the more productive of the the three. Um, Serge comes off the bench for 27 minutes, and he averages 15.8 rebounds and 1.4 assists per game. But again, he's 34. Um, And I I can't quite remember what Serge's contract is like, but Boucher is going to have have some decisions that he's going to need to make because I know for a fact his contract is up relatively soon. I can't remember if it's this year or next, but um, he is certainly going to be someone that is probably going to be at his best to check out the market and see what it could dictate for him um, just because he's kind of stuck behind everybody and he's got one year left uh, qualifying offer for the Raptors 2020-2021 season um, considering he's only going to make 1.9 million dollars next year I have a very hard time envisioning a scenario in which the Raptors do not pick that qualifying offer up
0: yeah that's what's going to happen um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see though after that year I think you're right is is what what is it what does it hold for him? Could he be a player who, yeah, maybe gets a little bit more run next year and earns himself a spot as a starter in a, a you know, a lesser NBA team. I think he's certainly capable. Like I said, we ran through the stats per 36 a second ago. Like he's a guy who you give him a bigger role, I think he's up for it. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. It'll be interesting to see what he would garner on the open market too. And you ran through right. he's making about one point six million. Next year the the qualifying offer is about two. Um you get on the open market here. Could he be somebody who makes eight to ten million dollars a year? I think Dylan Brooks signed a deal that's twelve million per year. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what he garners out there. But I think, I don't know. It goes back. You know, I kind of go back and forth. What did you want to be on three consecutive teams, or just you know, continually being on a team that competes for championships? Or for him. Would it be a little bit more advantageous to, to go somewhere else that maybe is a little bit further down the NBA pecking order where he can play a much bigger role? Um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. We should also note he's kind of back home in Canada, in Toronto, and maybe he just likes being up – there's a comfort level. Um, that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to follow, but I agree in terms of, like, he has the upside and clearly shows the talent. I mean, you, you go on Twitter. He's a fan favorite on NBA Twitter because he makes some absolutely – Awesome highlight, real dunks and block shots. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what his future holds, but it is a bright one. Although he is relatively old for for kind of how long he's been in the in the league, probably only has maybe seven to eight more years at max that he could maybe play at this level.
1: Now the last guy that's playing that cut that played at Oregon is Bull Bull, who signed a two way deal with the Denver Nuggets. This is his rookie season, so he. He will, he will have a two-way deal next season, and there will be a qualifying offer of $1.6 million after the, going into the 2021-2022 season. So he's, I, I have no doubt that Denver will be keeping him as a two-way player next season, the 20, 2021 season when he's just 20 years old. Uh, but he made his NBA debut in the bubble. And boy, has it been an impressive one with what he's been able to do. And just like Chris Boucher, a limited role. Um, yeah, you know, he, He's played in two games in which he saw more than 21 minutes. Uh, that was a 124-121 loss to the Lakers. He's had eight eight points, five rebounds, two assists, one block. He also had uh, – a a loss to the, the Portland Blazers, 125-115. He played 25 minutes. That's the most he's played in the bubble. He had nine points, five rebounds, one assist, one block. He did have four fouls. Uh, but overall, I mean, Bull has shot the ball, I, I think, considerably well um, in, in his seven games that he's played in the bubble. He's shooting 50% from the field, 44% from three-pointers. Yeah. He's averaging 2.7 rebounds. Uh, Almost one block, almost one assist per game. He's only fouling 1.6 times per game, too, averaging 5.7 rebounds. I'll be honest, um, this is the guy I am the most surprised with. A, that Denver played him in seven games in which they were in, you know, seating positioning. B, that he played 12 minutes a game. And C, how productive he's been.
0: Yeah. I was with you. You know, it's funny when we, when we were preparing, um, I put, I posted on the site, all the schedules for the playing rounds. I forgot about bull bull even being on the roster. Cause I didn't think he was going to play down there, you know? And I was actually reminded by, I think a poster um, right before their first scrimmage that actually is on the team and he might be playing a decent amount of minutes. So I had to go in and, and add into the schedule. I and mean, that's how off the radar he was for me. I, I wasn't expecting much of anything from bull bull. And you're right. He goes out and he's super productive. And now you wonder, You wonder what his role is going to be like in the playoffs here for for Denver. Will he continue to play like that? And if he does, like if he continues to be a guy, and he only played 12 minutes a game, but let's say he he carries about that role into the postseason. And Denver is a good enough team that they'll get probably at least two – they'll get one series for sure, and I would think they'll get a series against the Clippers. They'll have a tough time with Utah, but they get two series here. And what if he he plays in, let's say, 12 games and 12 minutes a game in those and continues to perform about what he was doing before – I don't have any question that all that next year with a little bit more time to, to kind of work on his game. And again, shortened condensed offseason, So not that much time, but that he could be a player who could be really productive. And you know, he's, he's everything. He kind of showed all the tools we saw at Oregon in a limited period of time. And I, I will be honest, it was hard for me kind of watching, going like, boy, think about that team that went to the sweet 16 a couple years ago. And if you would have him in the lineup there, What that would have looked like, and not that I forgot how good he was, because the stats are hard to forget, but I kind of forgot how multi-dimensional he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, his ability to handle the ball, to shoot the ball from three, or to drive to the basket from the perimeter and finish. So really exciting to watch him. And I think I think the highest upside player of this group, depending upon how things play out in Denver. Like I think Brooks has the most established role and probably Troy Brown second. But Bull could be somebody that if Denver decides to kind of roll the dice here and say, hey, we're going to play a seven-foot-two guy at small forward or power forward or however they're going to use him, um, and and they make him a starter in a couple years, I think he could be like a – I don't want to say like an all-star caliber guy, but a guy that that is a very notable player and a really, really good piece for the Nuggets. And, again, he's still only 20 years old. So it's exciting having four Oregon players playing in the bubble, now only two, but it's exciting seeing these guys, and they all performed really well. Um, Jordan Bell also on contract with the Cavaliers right now. And then you expect Peyton Pritchard to, to be drafted and on team as well. So Oregon's going to have, I think, six guys in the NBA next year. You also have Kenny Wooten and Lewis King, two guys that are kind of fringe players. You could see eight players. On
1: two-way contracts, both of them. Yeah, both
0: of them on two-way contracts with the, the Pistons and the Knicks, um, respectively. You could see eight guys from Oregon playing on NBA teams next year, and uh, that's pretty darn cool. That's pr- definitely more than it was growing up. Um, when I was following these programs, you think about it, You had, like, three consecutive drafts with Fred Jones, Luke Jackson, Luke Ridenour. They all went pretty high, but none of them ended up being superstars in the NBA, um, and, and they, that was kind of all you had in the league. You had three guys. Oregon could have eight guys next year um, playing decent roles in the NBA, and that's a, that's a really exciting thing to just kind of think about, um, especially considering where the program has come from.
1: And for Bull, just to give you a comparison of – he's playing limited minutes, but he's being so productive. If you average those out across 36 minutes a game, mm-hmm. he's averaging 16 points, eight rebounds, two and a half assists, and two and a half blocks a game per 36 minutes. And so a lot like Chris Boucher, Bull yeah. Bull is going to need to buy his time a little bit because he's in a very crowded backcourt. Uh, obviously the Nuggets have Nikola Jokic. um, this is one of the best centers in the NBA. Mason Plumlee is a a very solid backup center uh, and a guy that's just 30 years old. So he's got a couple more years left in his game. But Paul Millsap is the power forward for the Nuggets, that starting power forward. And, you know, he's up there in age. He's 35. He's probably getting close to being done either with the Nuggets uh, or just in in terms of the NBA in in general. And then they have Jamari Grant, who's uh, a 26-year-old, Somewhat productive. Um, I don't know if he necessarily is someone where you, you feel definitively that he's your backup power forward, but then also in the bubble, and this is what's probably going to hurt Bull Bull's chances of cracking the rotation next season, has uh-huh. been the development of Michael Porter Jr., Yeah, a, a guy that played a little bit in, during the regular season, but was a projected number one pick a couple of years ago, suffered an injury, and kind of fell down to the draft and Denver stashed him a little bit and he's really exploded down in the bubble. Um, huge numbers that he put up, uh, down there and, and looks to be either the starting small forward or the starting power forward for Denver. But Bull Bulls options, it feels like is he could really position himself in the next year or two of depending on how much he develops as kind of the, the versatile utility knife, uh, off the bench where he could be the backup small forward, power forward, and center for the Denver, for the Denver Nuggets uh, just because of how versatile he could be. Uh, but nonetheless, like you're right, he has a huge future, and it's just going to be waiting his – you know, biding his time, waiting until he gets his opportunities because he's on a really good team that's, that's, that's proven to, to really develop, and uh, now it's just waiting to see, you know, if it, if it plays out for him.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot, Matt. Let's, let's say we're jumping two years in the future here. 20, what is that? The 2022, 23 season, let's say, because right. we're, we're kind of up on the 2020 season. Which of these four guys we just spent time talking about, do you think will have, do you think one of these guys will definitively, we can say is, is the best NBA player from Oregon? Um, and I guess if not, like, do you have a feeling for, for which of these four you think might kind of carry that? Like which guy people are going to say, that's the best duck in the pros? Hmm. Dylan Brooks. Yeah. He's the I mean, he's no sure thing.
1: Yes. I'm going to go with the sure thing. I, I think, I think Memphis is going to be in two years, they will probably be a six, five, seven type seed team in the West. And I think John Morant's a top 50 player in the NBA. I think Jaron Jackson's a top 100 player in the NBA. I know for a fact Dylan Brooks already is a top one hurt player in the NBA, and you put those together, and I look at him and think he's going to be the most successful on the most successful team and have a big impact. So I'm, I'm picking Dylan Brooks. But I will say this. I think Chris Boucher – or not Chris Boucher. I think Bo Bo could be the guy second in line just because he continues to get healthy and – he gets a a little bit heavier, a little bit, or I should say, a little bit stronger. Um, and a couple guys on his team. I mean, Mason Pumley and Paul Millsap are two guys where they're 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 valuable, but they only have so much shelf life left. And all of a sudden, Bull Bull could could step into into the situation where he's the backup power forward and center, and, and playing twenty minutes a game on a team that's going to win, you know, 55-60 games a season.
0: I'm going to go a little contrarian and I'm going to say Troy Brown. I think we talked about at the top there just I think the situation is pretty favorable for him to be a starter on a team in the East that I mean they're not they're not incredible but they'll probably be a playoff team I think for the next 2 or 3 years based on their yep. talent and I think he's somebody that could really develop there and be somebody who we're looking at in a couple years going like, "Man, really didn't do much at oregon but he's averaging you know 18 a game with seven rebounds and six assists and is a really integral part of one of the six seven best teams in the eastern conference so i think brooks is the most sure thing i think maybe brown has the second most sure thing but has a little higher upside so i'll go that route i do think bull i think in theory if best case scenario for bull is probably he's an almost all-star caliber guy in a couple of years if, if things play out in Denver. And it'd be interesting to see how that works next to Jokic and Michael Porter. That's like three guys that are almost seven feet <laughs> playing in the front court together. Um, but all of them are pretty agile, at least Jokic isn't, but at least Bull and, and Porter are able to kind of move around a little bit on the perimeter. So again, exciting times to have options to choose from, I think in terms of making those kind of calls, so that's not something we've been able to do very much with Oregon men's players in the NBA before.
1: Now, here's a question I have for you, um, does Joe Young, who, I mean, he scored 74 points in a game in China this past July. Um, he had multiple games in July where he scored 50 or more in a game. Is Joe Young on an NBA roster come December when the NBA's uh, upcoming season starts back up again?
0: I, you know, I bet he'll get a look. And it'll be interesting to see financially what's more beneficial for him, too. Um, you know, is he able to make enough money in China and be comfortable over there? I mean, the job security is pretty good over there. Um, you, if you're not unfamiliar with how it works over there, you, you'd allow two American players per roster. And, and if you're one of the American players, you basically shoot 80% of the shots. So, I mean, it's a pretty cool role in terms of like he's averaging like 40 points a game. Um, playing over in China, but you're right. I'm sure his ultimately his aspirations are to come back to the NBA. And I think he's done enough to at least prove he can be like a bench guy who comes off and gives you 12 minutes and puts up a bunch of shots and scores, you know, six to eight points a game. So I think he's proven he can do that. Um, but if, if he does, it's obviously going to be in a vastly different role from what he's doing over in China, where yeah, he's actually scoring 60, 70 points sometimes because he's really the only one shooting on the team. Um, for 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 young, like I'm, I'm a little surprised he didn't last longer in the NBA just because I thought the league is built around guards that, you know, it's a guard driven league. And Joe Young is a guy who can go get buckets. He can go score. He's not a good enough passer for his size. Um, he's not a point guard. He's like a kind of a combo guard, but the three point shooting is what it'll come down to. He he was a 29.6% three point shooter in the NBA. That number needs to be again, closer to like mid to high thirties. If that number can be better, which by the way, at Oregon, it was, um, then I think, yeah, there's no doubt about it that he can make an NBA roster. It'll be interesting to see kind of what the market is this off season too, though, because of the COVID stuff and potential budget shrinking, maybe that makes him a really attractive option though, because you can go get him on a, on a, on a cheap deal because he's been playing over in China for the last couple of years.
1: And he, he signed a one year, $1.3 million deal over in China. So He's out of his contract now. That season has finished. I think he was actually the MVP of the league as well. Um, and and is, will have the opportunity if he chooses to to play in the NBA. I, I, I have no doubt about it. If there was a summer league this season, um, he would be on a roster because NBA teams – look, when you score 74 points, and, and I don't care what level of professional basketball, that that's a head tilter. That, it's going to make people notice. So – uh, that will be one other guy to, to keep tabs on. And then it's and then you also wonder does Kenny Wooten or does uh Louis King do they do they fight their way onto uh, an NBA roster with the Knicks and the Pistons respectively? They're on two-way deals. Do they force their way on to the bench as well with way they play in the G League? So I think from an NBA standpoint, exciting time for the playoffs. So you got two teams, the Nuggets with Bull Bull, the, the Raptors with Chris Boucher, and then like you said, Eric. Uh, there's six guys in the league next season for sure. Potentially seven, potentially up to even maybe nine if, if a couple guys get the call-up. So from an NBA perspective, from an Oregon perspective, exciting times. And hopefully you guys enjoyed this discussion uh, on the Austin Audible's podcast. For Eric Scopo and myself, Matt Breit, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks.